This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. This week we spoke with New York Democratic Senator Kristen Gillibrand. She's on the Senate Intelligence Committee and Armed Services Committee. So we talked about Russia and Ukraine. As pleased as she is with President Biden's approach so far, she says there is more that can be done, even as the administration announced new sanctions and new efforts to investigate war crimes. But we also talked about her effort to tackle cybersecurity issues with a goal of building a West Point-type academy for cyber education. We also talked about Iran, the border, and midterms. We often have to cut interviews down for time during the week, but we thought you might like to hear this full interview. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the Weekday Rundown podcast if you haven't already. Now, here's Senator Gillibrand on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Um, Well, we know it, but give us your name and title for the record. We'll get an audio level off that. Kirsten Gillibrand, Senator from New York. Very good. Thank you for your time. So, We've heard a lot today from DOJ and from the president himself about um, existing sanctions, enforcement of those sanctions, and the promises of new sanctions. Is there more we can do? Is there more we should do? And how long do you think these sanctions will take to change the trajectory to really to really alter Putin's calculation? I think there's much more we can do. I think we need to create sanctions that are so crippling, that are so painful to Putin and his elite around him that uh, they change his course of action. And so that is the goal of these sanctions. Um, I think what President Biden has done to increase the people who will be under these sanctions is wise. Um, A lot of the uh, elite within Russia hide their money by giving it to spouses and children. They will give it to girlfriends. They will give it to anyone to hide money and resources and assets so that they can't be sanctioned. So widening the net to include a lot of these individuals is appropriate. Uh, I think what President Biden is doing is trying to create extreme pressure on Putin himself so that he will recognize what he's doing is a violation of Um, human rights, uh, a violation of international standards, and that he will be held accountable by NATO and the free world. As tough as these sanctions might be, you you did start by saying more could be done. Um, What more than than already has been done is is like an expansion of SWIFT to more banks, something that we should be doing? Like, is there any technicality? They could shut out Correct. They could shut out more banking operations. So, for example, just today, uh, President Biden has included um, Cerber Bank and Alpha Bank into the list of sanctioned banks. That's highly relevant. Um, There's still other institutions that are providing resources to the Russian government that can be sanctioned. Um, And we could start, you know, taking away assets of the oligarchs. You know, certainly they own a lot of houses and apartments across the United States, especially in New York City, uh, in London and Europe. Um, Those assets should be seized. Um, They should be seized by the United States and our allies across the board. There should be no there should be no place where the oligarchs, the generals, the government individuals who have voted for this war can hide assets. The U.N. is going to vote on suspending Russia from the Human Rights Council. I wonder if you think if that will happen. And what about the Security Council? We know Russia has veto power, but they're still on that, right? 
I agree. Um, these are the kinds of things that we should be looking very closely at as ways to continue to increase the pressure around Putin and to stop his actions. Um, the whole point of these sanctions is to change his decision making or change the decision making of those around him to not participate. Um, he really we have to increase the opportunities for him to see no upside in continuing his actions and for those around him to try to influence him to to stop. As you know, Joint Chiefs Chairman Mark Milley um, said this week to the House Armed Services Committee, um, and I'm going to read the quote. We're entering a world that is becoming more unstable and the potential for significant international conflict is increasing, not decreasing. He didn't say just Russia. He said the potential for significant international conflict. I imagine we're thinking of other adversaries, maybe China, Iran, North Korea. You're on the Senate Intelligence Committee and you get information that we all don't get. What do we do with this information that we're being told? Well, I think um, General Milley is quite right. Um, I think first and foremost, he was most likely referring to this war escalating, meaning that it would turn into a world war um, because there is so much instability that Russia is creating. If Putin feels so cornered that he has to escalate and use chemical weapons or nuclear weapons or attack a NATO ally, uh, he will be so doing with full knowledge that he's creating uh, another world war. And so we have no faith that he has rational judgment, that he has the ability to understand the consequences of his actions. And so I think Mark Milley is quite right that there we are in a very dangerous time that could absolutely not only escalate, but uh, metastasize into a much broader conflict. Um, the one thing that is happening is we are seeing our alliances grow. Um, President Biden has done an excellent job in creating a shoulder to shoulder approach with NATO allies and other European allies uh, to make sure that we um, stand shoulder to shoulder against Russia. Uh, when I was in Poland and Germany just a few weeks ago, uh, we were able to see NATO forces. We saw American troops doing exercises with NATO forces and how ready they are to protect the homeland and protect uh, their allies. It, it is it's not insignificant how much pressure Putin is putting on the world order through his horrific invasion and destruction of Ukraine. Um, we've seen the Russian government bomb hospitals and schools and innocent children dying. We've seen horrific uh, images of uh, people who have been slaughtered. It is something that um, is almost incomprehensible in this day and age. And so we are ready to protect America and protect our allies. And in the meantime, we're gonna give Ukraine all the munitions and support they need to win their war. Um, another question, because you're on the Senate Intelligence Committee, I just want your thoughts. A lot of intelligence was notably released ahead of this invasion, and there were plenty of stories about Ukraine sort of dismissing them or downplaying them. And obviously, unfortunately and sadly, it turned out that intel was right. What was behind, do you think, releasing so much of that intelligence, talking about false flag operations, et cetera, before the invasion? It seemed like a sort of a new tactic or a new, a new like, effort to share? I think America did its best to create a wake-up call for our allies and the Ukrainian government 
that the risks of this invasion happening were so high that they needed to be well aware of what our view of the world was at the time. Uh, I was very concerned before the war started that our allies and that Ukraine weren't taking our signals uh, seriously. And so, unfortunately, um, our intelligence was correct and Russia did invade brutally. And as a consequence, uh, we are continuing to work with the Ukrainians and our allies to keep to keep regional security, but to help the Ukrainians win this war. Let's let's move to cyber fears and worries, but also solutions. Um, we know uh, we've heard for years now about Russian cyber attacks lurking in our election systems. We know they're increasing out of China as well. Um, and there's also like talk from I, I know on Wednesday, the FBI director said that they stopped a botnet attack basically out of Russia that would have infected, you know, thousands of devices around the world at different businesses. I wanted your thoughts about this idea of a West Point for cyber. Uh, I know the former Google CEO, Eric Schmidt, posed this idea and recently said the the government needs to have better talent, essentially, um, in, in beefing up on AI and cyber capabilities. Is that a solid idea? How do we get there? Um, yes, this is an area where Eric Schmidt and I are in complete agreement. Um, his AI commission made one of several recommendations for a digital and cyber academy for uh, helping the federal government be prepared for cyber attack and for uh, cyber war. And this is something that I've also been working on for quite a while. Um, having joined the Intelligence Committee last year and having been on the Armed Services Committee for over a decade, um, this is an area where I spent a lot of time. And so last year in the National Defense Authorization Bill, I wrote legislation to create a National Cyber Academy. And this would be essentially like a West Point for a civilian cyber workforce to help the federal government in all areas where it needs help. So whether it's NSA or NGA or CIA or FBI or commerce or treasury, we need the best and brightest cyber personnel protecting and working with the federal government. And so the best way to do that in my mind is to train our men and women from the beginning to do these really incredibly important jobs and to make sure they are uh, trained from the beginning in a way that we can provide debt-free college, just like uh, West Point and the Naval Academy and the Air Force Academy, but also uh, state-of-the-art education. So I'm writing that legislation now. Uh, what the NDAA provided for was a framework um, to begin to assess how to build a cyber academy. It will likely take a decade to actually build a brick-and-mortar university, but in the meantime, we can use existing programs as well as the ROTC model to partner with universities, um, state schools and community colleges all across the country who already have the coursework that is necessary to prepare these individuals. And we have existing programs that we can build upon. Um, the DOD has one, the um, NSA has one, the National Science Foundation has one. And so we can use existing relationships with these schools and training platforms uh, to start creating cyber academy classes as early as uh, people applying next year. So we want to do this now. It's urgent. Um, we want to be able to scale this quickly and we can use existing infrastructure to do that. I have a friend, Frederick Hall in San Antonio. Um, he's the uh, Hondo Cyber Patriot team coach. He helps 
coach and teach high schoolers about cyber. And we've talked a lot about this idea of when will this trickle down into high school, maybe even elementary? At what point is it important to have to change curriculum at even, you know, a, a younger level, at a younger age level to instruct children yeah. on coding or cyber or, or you know, having a class yeah. alongside math and English? Is that is that on the radar? Absolutely. It's already being done. So, for example, I toured uh, a tech academy in Troy, New York, uh, because it was a partner high school to a program being run by Hudson Valley Community College. Um, they wanted to get kids interested in STEM careers right away. So they created a high school to create a pipeline of these STEM careers to go straight into HVCC's program to develop advanced manufacturing, to develop um, kids who not only uh, know how to um, code, but kids who know how to build. And uh, it was really pretty impressive how they're gearing a whole high school towards STEM to be the workforce of the future. So yes, we should be doing that in public schools all across the country and, and create magnet schools because um, these mm. STEM career schools are really exciting to get the STEM education into the high school level that can be finished off with a community college two-year degree or a four-year degree to go into any aspect of the federal government that's desperate for this cyber talent. Just keeping with our foreign policy topic, I want to ask you about Iran because a group of House Democrats Wednesday they, they protested, essentially, a, a new Iran deal, a new JCPOA, saying that essentially they don't really trust Iran to not build a nuclear weapon, even with a deal. And with a deal, uh, they would get some sanctions relief, and that would just end up pouring money into terrorist proxies. We've heard President Trump speak like this. Um, hearing Democrats speak like this is different. Uh, where, where are you on that? Do they have a point? Yes, they definitely have a point. Um, Iran is not trustworthy. Uh, Iran has never been trustworthy. They continue to fund terrorism. Uh, they continue to um, develop not only their nuclear capabilities, but their missile capabilities. And so, um, unfortunately, President Trump really harmed our ability to project um, and to stabilize the Middle East. Um, when President Trump walked away from the Iran deal, it allowed Iran to immediately start its centrifuge production. They now have advanced levels of centrifuge production and they are able to refine and um, produce uranium at a much greater rate than ever before. So now we are dealing with an Iran that has far more advanced capability than they had when we were in an agreement with them. So for President Biden to be able to make a new Iran deal work, he's going to have to address some of the biggest concerns. First of all, um, when we had the first Iran deal, we had a partnership with China, Russia and the EU. And obviously uh, doing a deal with Russia right now is untenable. So that's one huge problem. Second, um, they are much farther along in their technology and they've continued to test missiles and they've continued to um, advance their centrifuge production. And so we would have to create a very different framework than the first framework. Uh, the, the original framework's no longer operable because the landscape has changed so significantly. Um, if you remember, the first Iran deal didn't deal with terrorism or missiles, and a new Iran deal would probably have to deal with those issues because um, 
the landscape has changed so significantly. So I think we're it's not very even directly hard for the Biden administration to do this right now. We're not even directly talking to them, right? I mean, and and like you like you just noted, Russia throws all of this. The fact that that Jake Sullivan said that they were, or I'm sorry, Ned Price said that they were still open to essentially giving Russia some power in negotiations with Iran. I mean, it, how complicated is this? It sound it feels like it's all connected. Like, how can you? How can you be talking? It's very much, you know. Connected. Yeah. But how can we I be talking it's... in one way about Russia with this war in Ukraine, and at the same time saying, "Well, when it comes to Iran, you know, maybe we'll give you some some leverage or some power here." And how how much power do we even have if we're not directly talking to them? I think it's very difficult. So, um, if we are going to consider any type of negotiated framework, um, you'd really have to address these issues up front. It's very difficult. So I'm not optimistic that an Iran deal is in the near future because of these concerns. And the deal that President Biden would have to make would be very different. It's unfortunately, we are very far behind where we were before President Trump unwound the deal. Finally, Senator, um, the border, because we're we're really talking really, it sounds like this whole discussion is really about, you know, foreign policy matters. And the border is still important in that even in that context. Where are you on lifting Title 42? Some of your colleagues, in, uh, including in Arizona, have, have expressed concern that this would really open the floodgates in an even different way, that it's already so overwhelming down there um, with the number of people coming. Should there be some hold off on, on Title 42? Or are, are you thinking that there should even be a different approach that, that sort of attacks this differently? Yeah, I think reducing it to Title 42 is a mistake. I think we need a much broader discussion about immigration reform and we need to right size immigration. Uh, We are having devastating consequences to our economy because we don't have all of the workers that we need in different sectors, um, including agriculture. Uh, We need to right size immigration. So we have visas for things that we need visas for, like Ukrainians. Um, We should be able to bring over many Ukrainian refugees. I know President Biden has started with 150,000. And those are um, people that need to be reunited with their families while their country is in war. But they want to go home. These are refugees that are desperate to go home and rebuild their country. They just need the, the war to stop. So we need to right-size immigration. We need to change the number of visas that we have for legal immigration. We need to increase the pipeline for legal applications in safe and appropriate locations like countries of origin or uh, partner countries. We need to stop the flow of illegal immigration across the border because it's harmful to our country, but also to the immigrants themselves. Um, These aren't safe passages. These aren't safe journeys. These are horrific for children and women. And they are constantly being subjected to predatory uh, people. And so we we have to look at immigration so differently as a nation. And that's why reducing it to this one thing is such a mistake. We have to look at it holistically. We need a pathway to citizenship for people who are working here already, following laws, paying social security, paying their taxes. We need a proper a proper pathway to citizenship for all those people who are doing it right, who we need and want as part of our communities, as part of our um, family members, and as part of our fabric of our whole American story. Um, 
And so we have to have a different approach. And I look forward to President Biden coming up with a different framework for how he wants to address this. But we have to right size immigration so we have the right number of visas for the right number of people from the places that we desperately need help from. And we need to stabilize the regions where people are streaming out of because of war and because of um, terrorism and drug trafficking and human trafficking. And that's the part we have to do a lot, a lot of work on. And so um, I'm committed to doing that work. I think the best framework is a comprehensive framework. And so I hope we can start talking about that, not just one-offs. Okay, one more promise, and it's a short one. There's a lot of talk about a big red wave coming this fall, and some of it is based on polling. Do you buy it? Um, I think there's always the dynamic of the party in power has trouble during the midterms. I think that's just a traditional dynamic. But for my part, I know my colleagues in the Senate that are running for re-election and they're pretty awesome. So I think they're going to win. <laughs> I also think um, some of these open seats are fair game and there's lots of seats where um, Democratic candidates, uh, I think, will win. So I am not um, I'm feeling very hopeful that uh, there will be many people who will win their elections, who want to serve, uh, who will serve and who will serve red and purple places very effectively. So I'm. I'm not feeling um, pessimistic. I'm actually feeling quite optimistic. Senator Gillibrand of New York, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. I hope we can talk to you again. I know you're a senator and you're very busy, but we, we'd love to have you again. Well, thank you. This is all good, all good topics. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you so much, Senator. Bye. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.